1: In the spirit of reconciliation, the Theatre Thoughts podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all traditional custodians of the land on which our episodes are recorded.
2: I had been approached by Chris Horsey saying, oh, look, you know, I'm I'm flying Lucy up. Could you see if she'll get her up? And I was like, well, I don't know. Does that break the rules? Because she's not just some random. She was Glinda. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> so, you know, I, I asked Kristen Chenoweth, you know, it's it's not something I would normally do, but she was more of an approachable type of person. And I said, look, you know, Glinda's going to be there tomorrow night and I know you get someone up. And she's like, absolutely. Yeah. Where will she be sitting? I don't know, I'll find out. Yeah, no way! (laughs) Yeah, so she got her
1: up. You're listening to the Theatre Thoughts Podcast, your backstage pass to the world of theatre in Australia and beyond. I'm Justin, your guide to the drama, comedy and pure magic of the stage from the heart of Australia to the grandest stages worldwide. Join us here for enlightening conversations, reviews and behind-the-scenes stories from the artists themselves. Subscribe for your regular dose of theatre inspiration and consider supporting us on Patreon for exclusive content. Follow us on Instagram at theatrethoughtsaus and ttpod underscore official and discover even more over on our TikTok, Theatre Thoughts Australia. So join us as we rise the curtain on a brand new episode of the Theatre Thoughts Podcast. everyone, to a brand new episode of the Theatre Thoughts Podcast. I'm very excited to have my guest on today. We have a producer who has worked across many aspects of the entertainment industry for over 35 years. She's created Neglected Musicals in 2010 and has presented 25 musicals of the genre over the past 13 years. With over 20 years as one of Australia's leading entertainment publicists, she's worked and managed the media for people such as Cindy Lauper, Barry Humphreys, The Dalai Lama, Cats, The Graduate, The Fan of the Opera, Guys and Dolls, Bernadette Peters, Kristen Chenoweth, The Helpman Awards and more. Michelle Guthrie, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: I'm so excited to have you on, to have a chat, because <laughs> you have such a wealth of experience under you, and I'm sure you have so many stories that we could get into.
2: So many stories.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, I mean, I want to say thank you, first of all, for jumping on, because I remember the very first day you jumped into my sphere and it was in when i lived back in my old little terrible one bedroom apartment and i was on the verge of shutting down theater theater thoughts because i was like this isn't important no one's listening it's too hard and i got a phone call just from this random number and you were like oh hi i'm michelle guthrie i'm just wanting to know a little bit more about theater thoughts and i was like oh yeah of course i'd love to tell you more about theater thoughts and um and then you were just like open arms sort of welcomed me into the hayes theater with all the shows and like, can you do this, can you do this and introduce me to people and it's just kind of gone from there. So, I mean, it's a massive thank you from me.
2: Because we um, need you. The industry needs you and people like you. It's it's really important that what this industry is doing is covered by people like you. So, thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you're on to talk about neglected musicals. Mm -hmm. Um, You have one coming up and then you have a whole bunch coming up um, in future projects. Mm -hmm. Now, the cast for... Uh, the one coming up, If Then, which plays in November, um, is stellar. Isn't it? It is stellar cast that you have on there. So we'll get into that in a bit, uh-huh. but I'd love to talk about you first. So okay. I guess for people who don't know you, I know I said a bit of a bio just then, but I'd love to know like what are the best things to know about Michelle?
2: <laughs> the best things to know about me is that um, I love this industry with a passion, this business we call Um <laughs> and, and I guess that's why I've always been, been here and I've gone from one thing to another I change I guess reinvent myself every now and again but it it's it's such a joy to be part of this business and I'm very lucky that I am still here
1: Mm, yeah I spoke to other producers recently who've said the exact same thing you know to be lucky to be still here I'd love to know what do you what do you mean by that like is it a tough industry in terms of you know, working as a producer, like finding the next project or is it kind of keeping that passion sort of alive?
2: It's it's definitely not about keeping the passion alive because I think people who even turn their back on it still have the passion and, mm, and have sure. to hide themselves from the industry because it's difficult to see it and not be part of it. And uh, I was thinking about somebody last night who did that a long time ago and I miss her. Oh, I miss right. this person. I, I wish she was still part of the industry but I completely understand why she's not here anymore yeah right um but i think i think the reason why people like myself are grateful to still be here is because we've seen lots of people walk away and i knew that with the pandemic a lot of people will go okay that's it yeah i can't do this anymore on on every level and I, i and we did see that we did see people go i'm done i'm not doing this anymore and it it is it is a tough industry but it's 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 pretty relentless as well, mm. but it's it's also a big commitment. And if there's other things you want to do with your life, then you know, dedicating yourself to this industry can be difficult.
1: Yeah, definitely. But I mean, you've worked with so many people over the years. You know, like as I lifted off a couple then, and that must be rewarding in itself.
2: Uh, yes, but it's you know, as I, as I said to you before, it's it is work though. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. There's no question. You're not when you're looking after people like that. You're not. Well, okay, sometimes you might be having a drink yeah. with them at the bar. <laughs> but on the whole, you know, you are working and you are doing a job for them and their promoter and you're getting it done. Mm. Um, but you you do walk away with a lot of really interesting stories about these people. Um, and, of course, some of these people I have stayed in touch with over the years. and yeah. And then there's a lot of people we have, like one of the, One most wonderful experiences of looking after somebody and working with someone was Hal David. Oh, right. And um, he and his wife came out a little over 20 years ago and, of course, he's passed away now. Mm. And just to be with him for a few days, he he was in his early 80s and the way he talked about his life in the Brill building and the songs and it was – it was a joy for me to listen to that and to be with him. And we were sitting waiting to go on to Bert Newton's morning show. Oh, yeah. And they were playing as a kind of go out to the break when we come back kind of thing. Uh, raindrops keep falling on your head. Yeah, and so he started singing along with it, and then he nudged me to yeah. sing with him. <laughs> oh, no way! And so I did. Yeah, so I got to sing um, with How David, you know, in the alleyway under the stairs. Before you go on, that's so uh, cool. So that was that was lovely. He was re- he and his wife were so lovely, and they were so lovely to me. And and it, so those experiences are fantastic.
1: Yeah, I bet. And mm. I, I'd love to. I, I want to jump into some. Um, a little bit later in the podcast, because I, I know before we started, you were talking like you already had some, and I was like, oh my God, save this for the episode. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'd love to ask you, first of all, our one minute theatre thoughts questions uh-huh, and, uh-huh. and get a little bit more to know like your aspects of theatre, if that's okay. Sure. Okay, cool. So we'll start with the first one. Um, what has been your favourite production you've seen recently? Recently? Yeah.
2: Uh, Beetlejuice. Oh,
1: did you see that?
2: Yeah, in Los Angeles. Yeah. 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 And it, it was, it, you know, I would just went on my own and I, I didn't really know what to expect. I, I had listened to it but I, I didn't really have any memory of it and I was blown away. I was like, this is a great show. Wow. Uh, and it's coming to Australia yeah, so that's I'm great. so
1: excited for it. And the
2: audience really loved it and there were teenagers dressing up and I just was, yeah, I was really impressed.
1: I see. I find that fascinating because it's not, it's an old film.
2: Yeah, and I mean,
1: I love the film itself, but it's an old Tim Burton film, and I think it's got this TikTok generation uh, audience, which I'm finding, which I find fascinating. Um, But I think that's part of its popularity as well.
2: Well, there was there were definitely people there that were bringing their teenagers and quietly standing in a corner while their teenager was just loving being in the foyer and buying the merchandise, and as they're happy to be there. But also, what was great about that experience for me was that it was a very well-behaved audience. And yeah, nice. I don't know if you've been to the Pantages in Los Angeles. It's going to be really hit and miss. People are bust in. It's not, it's not like Broadway. Yeah. Um, they were a very well-behaved audience. There were no phones out. There was no, at the end of every scene, people getting up and going to the bathroom. It was... And it was such a great room to be in as mm. well because they knew the show better than me.
1: That's crazy. Yeah. I love, I love it. I'm so excited to see it in Melbourne. <laughs> Name a play or a production that left you speechless.
2: Well, I think, you know, with questions like that, it, the answer is usually something you saw when you were younger, mm. when you can still be affected in that way. Yeah. Uh, and they, it probably would have been absolutely everything I ever saw. Um, but you really can't get past that original production of Les Mis.
1: Yeah, right. Okay. And I was
2: lucky enough to see it a few times in the first month. Yeah. And it, it it's it's gobsmacking. It was mm. gobsmacking. It was it just that particular production. And, of course, the show is very different now. I, I took my daughter to see it at the Pantages in Los Angeles recently. It is a different show yeah. now. Yeah. So for those of us that were lucky enough to see that original production and that original Australian production mm. with that cast – It did. That absolutely affected me and blew me away. Okay. Yeah.
1: I think mine was, I saw Oklahoma in the West End and um, I'd never seen- Which which one? The new one, the adapted one. Uh uh Because I've never seen Oklahoma- I know obviously Hugh Jackman did the West End version and I was like... Never seen
2: Oklahoma. I oh,
1: know, never seen it. Because it wasn't... In, I was Like my friends told me about it. And I was like, I don't really think that's for me. Um, and so when I was watching... It's Oklahoma. Yeah, I know. It's like... It's, it and changed was, everything. Yeah. And it was like this Rodgers and Hammerstein. So I'm like, I get it, it's Oklahoma. Um, and, and I went to see this in the West End and I felt like I was watching two productions. I felt like I was trying to dissect the original Oklahoma, uh-huh. but then also how they've changed it. And what they did with it was it, it left me speechless because it was like sexy, it was dark, it was like really unsettling in parts. Um, and wow. I thought it was a really fascinating way to make, to take like a, a, a show that some people say is outdated but making it so relevant still. Right. Um, and I was left speechless by it, honestly. Well,
2: hopefully we'll get that version of the show here I hope soon. so. I yeah. hope so
1: because it, it's great. Um, okay, sorry, I went off a tangent then. Um, what is a dream show you'd love to tackle? I guess a kind of neglected musicals as well kind of could feed into that, I suppose.
2: Well, I would have said City of Angels. See, with ne- but it's, of course, it's been done now. But it's, with, it, with neglected, it's very difficult to do... A show within a show, and you'd be surprised how many there are. Okay, and City of Angels is kind of like a show within a show yeah. to symbolize the two different worlds in a neglected format would be difficult. I mean, another one is Me and Juliet, where it's people putting on a show, and when they're already walking around with scripts in their hand, it's mm. a bit difficult to go, Oh, now they're rehearsing the other show with scripts in their hand. So, right. and but yeah, no, that I think all shows I would like to tackle. There's not one particularly, mm. like, I'm really glad that. Uh, we're finally getting around to playing our song next year. So, yeah. I'm, you know, that's exciting. But they're all exciting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <I> <laughs> it love, shows. <laughs> I love that you still get so excited for it. It's great. Do you have or what is your all-time favourite musical? Is it Les, Mis? Les Mis, yeah. <laughs> but also Into the Woods. Oh, I, yeah. It's yeah. a tie.
2: I can't yeah. I can't have one without the other. Yeah. Les Mis and Into the Woods. And if I had to go a third, mm. Sunday in the Park with George.
1: Oh, lovely. That's yeah. a great one as well. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, oh, and the last one, which I love asking producers, uh, which production would you most want to see come to Australia?
2: Yeah, this is this is really tricky. I, I mean, I'd really love to see the gender swap company. Yes, and, yes. And I believe yes. that is coming. Oh, so we will get to see that. I think that's just always about timing yeah. with stuff like that. Yeah. Um, uh, all the sometimes. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. All the sometimes, including the new one, um, I would love that to eventually come. Uh I think Hadestown, yes. I did see it on Broadway. Um, I think it's a tricky one to do here. I think that it probably suits a state theatre company. Mm. Uh, it's, a, it's a really amazing production. Have you seen it? I
1: w- missed it. I didn't get right. to see it, but I've listened to the soundtrack on repeat. It's on like the top of my I wish list. Right. Yeah.
2: It's really quite... Remarkable, Yeah. And and I'm so glad that it won the Tony because it's only with that kind of support behind it could it have lasted as long as it has right, on Broadway. Gotcha. I feel like a lot of those really good shows need that support of, you know, Tony winner mm. in order to get the people from the sticks to go. Yeah, Sorry, definitely. people from the sticks.
1: <laughs> They'll come. Come, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'd love to jump back uh, to um, something you said before about Sondheim. So uh-huh. you, you, know, you love Sondheim. So I'd love to... No, what what is it about sometimes shows that, you know, you're drawn to?
2: Well, I think for some of us that well, – I don't know if you know this, but like the PBS in America filmed a whole lot of Broadway shows mm. that they put on PBS, which was like the ABC. So, therefore, by the 80s, there were video cassettes that people would bo- lend to each other yeah. of Into the Woods and Sunday in the Park with George. And the documentary about the recording of Company. Right. That we would just watch and watch and watch and watch. So, therefore, we got to completely know these shows, to fall in love with these shows. And in in the end, for some of us, it's like the gospel according to Sondheim. Yeah, because right. his, his words, his wisdom, mm. the way he would present life to us was nothing like anything we'd ever seen before. Yeah. So, it, it spoke. It spoke to me, especially the emotional intelligence of it all. Mm. Um, Something popped up on my phone this morning from Sunday in the Park with George. And I instantly teared up. It's just, you know, where she goes to George and says she's leaving. And it's like it's just such a remarkable part of the show. And only, okay, not only Sondheim can do it, but Sondheim does it so well. He does, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, I mean, uh, speaking of those tapes, because I, I was listening and I was like, yeah, no, I, I know. Because the other night, me and Marty, my producer, watched um, Tick, Tick, Boom. He'd never seen it. And it's one of my favourite films. And right. there's a scene in it where Jonathan Larson's watching uh, Sunday in the Park with George on PBS because they've recorded it. <sighs> yeah, And I was like, yep, yeah, that's right. So even like, and then he makes a little cameo in the uh, in the movie as well. Um, and I think sometimes just one of those names in theatre that will forever just be like, you know, attached to, synonymous with it in, it in a way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, such a loss really, you know, but also well, what he left for us. Well,
2: exactly. I mean, we were very lucky to have him for so long, Yeah, really. Definitely. Yeah,
1: definitely. Well, thank you so much for that. That was a great insight into your um, your theatrical sphere. Um, so I'd love to jump back to to you and your career before we talk about neglected musicals. So you've worked with so many people. You know, like I said before, Cindy Lauper, the Dalai Lama, Christian Chen with Bernadette Peters. Is there any stories that pop out in your head as something that's like really memorable or you've told like countless times as your go-to story?
2: Uh, Look, there's the ones that, you know, you'll get if you come to a dinner party at my house (laughs) and then there's there's the nice ones. Yeah. Yeah. Look, on the whole, everybody's pretty lovely. Kristen Chenoweth was particularly wonderful. Oh, wow. Yeah, like really, really lovely and really down to earth um, and such a fabulous performer and just so generous. You know there's that bit she does in a show where she gets up, somebody to sing for good with her. Mm. And um, I had... I had been approached by Chris Horsey saying, oh, look, you know, I'm, I'm flying Lucy up. Could you see if she'll get her up? And I was like, well, I don't know. Does that break the rules? Because she's not just some random. She was Glinda. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I asked Kristen Chenoweth, you know, it's, it's not something I would normally do, but she was more of an uh, approachable type of person. And I said, look, you know, Glinda's going to be there tomorrow night and I know you get someone up. And she's like, absolutely. Yeah. Where would she be sitting? I don't know. I'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. So she got her up and switched it. She did. Oh, yeah. so, well, she was she sang Elphaba. That's and then, crazy. Yeah, and Lucy did Glinda. So oh, what an great. honor. I know, and it was lovely to be there and to see that. Yeah, but that just you know to show what kind of lovely person she was. It um, is. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah. Um, I'd love to know how. How did you work with the Dalai Lama? That was, that like when I was reading through your bio, I was like, yes, theater, theater. What? <laughs>
2: yeah, it is an interesting story because the, it, the organisation that brought him out here, and he had not been here for a long time. Really, at the end of the day, they just wanted people to know that he was coming, and right. and it was a free event, that but ticketed. So, um, maybe it wasn't free. Actually, I can't remember the details. But basically, I look after ticketed events, so they hired me to look after it, and basically, I was being paid to say no, you can't interview the Dalai Lama. Ah. But then there was all this stuff with the, the relay torch for the Olympics right. and the okay. and Paul and he started to speak out about this. So by the time he was on his way here, everything changed gear. All of a sudden we were doing press conference oh, and wow. I was being hounded and, and I had to certify press and vet press. and And, and whereas I wasn't even going to be meeting him... All of a sudden, I'm in a room with him and his people, constantly trying to talk to them uh, about what was going to happen next. And so, mm. the biggest press conference I ever did, of course, was for the Dalai Lama, and wow. it was it was huge. And then we only did one one on one interview, and that was with Seven Thirty Report, and they were so nervous, and I, the crew, and Kerry O'Brien, oh, wow, uh, okay, yeah, and they were a mess, and they they were really concerned that he would turn around and not come, yeah, and yeah. At, at one point, I'm like, we are so been ready for an hour and a half. Where is he? <laughs> you know, but with people like that, it's that they, they don't know what time it is, and they yeah. don't, I mean, whether it's not you know because he's a Dalai Lama, it's because he's surrounded by so many people that tell him what to do and where to go. Yeah. so all of a sudden he arrived and he um shook everyone's hand and, you know, Gave people. I'm sorry, I don't know the terms of any of the things that he did, yeah. but he was really lovely, and he he does have, a, a, you know, really great English. So yeah, right. Um, but he was really lovely to me and my team, and mm. and uh, and then yeah, but that was a weird one because I thought that I was there was just a simple gig. Yeah. To say no, I'm sorry, he's not talking to anybody. Right. Okay. But this is how you get tickets to the show. Yeah. Um. But yeah.
1: And then it just turned into this massive thing.
2: It turned into this huge thing. That's
1: insane. Yeah. Wow. Filled with politics. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Is that a show? Oh, my goodness. It's so far out. <laughs> um, well, uh, we'll take a little ad break and then we'll talk about neglected musicals. Brilliant. Um, I'll give you. Uh, I'll read out the little bio of it. Um, so it's a theatre initiative dedicated to presenting musical theatre that has never or rarely been in Australia. Um, so the musicals are presented with script in hand, piano accompaniment, um, after only a day's rehearsal. So how did this come about? Like, what was the idea, the inspiration?
2: Well, I, I was living in London, and I walked past the uh, Performing Arts Museum in Covent Garden, and it had a sign out the front saying, "Today, Green Willow, five pounds." So I was like, I've heard of Green Willow. So I went in and it was this small room, small stage, lined up chairs, upright piano. And people got up on the stage with just clip binders and sang through the songs and read the script. And that was that. Mm. And everybody got to see Green Willow, a really quite obscure musical. And I thought, gosh, we should do this in Sydney. This should happen. So many, many years later. I was like, okay, now's the time. Now's the time to do it. So uh, then at what was called the Darlinghurst Theatre, which is now the Hayes Theatre. um, Did it used to be the Darlinghurst? Yes. I did not know that. It's older than Hayes. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So
2: on a Monday when there was no show, um, we would um, rehearse elsewhere like the day before, or two days before. And then on the Monday, we would go in and take the place over. Mm. Uh, and Glen Terry had never seen anything like it because it okay. was packed and people were drinking on a Monday afternoon. Yeah, right. And, yeah. Um, and we did two shows. And the first show was um, No Way to Treat a Lady, which Jason Langley directed. Uh, And then we just kept following it up. After that, we did Girl Crazy, the original 1930 Girl Crazy, which was a little bit more like a review. Yeah. Uh, And then we just kept going from there. And so eventually, you know, we went to three shows and sometimes the show would go out to Riverside the week later. And uh, now that, you know, at the Hayes a couple Mm. of times a year. Yeah. Uh, and we will never run out of Neglected no,
1: Musicals. No. No. Not at all. There's so many to, to do. I was actually coming back to Tick, Tick, Brim. I was sitting there going, oh, I'd love for Neglected Musicals to do Suburbia. You know, his first show that he tried to get and never never got. I'd be like, oh, that'd be so good. It's
2: a matter of whether they let you do that. Yeah, and that's, that's it. Yeah. There's a lot of really obscure sometime shows that I would dearly love to do, like Saturday Night. But... Yeah, I, they won't let you do it in that format yeah okay yeah. that's interesting.
1: Mm. um well so uh, the first show that's coming um in November is if then Adina mm-hmm. um, Menzel was in this on Broadway um you have an amazing cast um like Apple Vist is I always pronounced their name wrong, and I'm so sorry. Um, and Tegan Waters as well. They were in Bonnie and Clyde together, yeah, um, so you know to have them both reunited is already a plus. yeah, um and you have an amazing cast collected for this one. So I guess uh, what what does it look like for anyone who's not seen it before?
2: Well, basically you're on a roller coaster ride with the cast. Uh, the lights are up, there's no lighting plot, they don't wear mics. Uh, the company come out. They sit on the side of the stage, so everybody's on stage for the entire time, and uh, they just go, mm. uh, and they've script in hand, um, and they sing the songs and they do the show, uh, and it's 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 not a reading. It's definitely a presentation. It is, yeah. Uh, and because you know we're so lucky to have so many great performers do it, it, it does not look like they've only had one day's rehearsal. It doesn't, because uh, I, I
1: came to. Brigadoon last yeah. year. And and yeah, that's what I expect. I expected them to just kind of be sitting there. There's a piano and they're like ringing it. But it was a full production, yeah. just, you know, normal like clothes. Nothing. Just no sets. Yeah, yeah. no <laughs> sets. Yeah, And they did the full thing. And I was like, this is great. This is so yeah. much fun. Yeah. And
2: and you, even when, you know, somebody dies, you you cry, you feel yeah. it. It's like it's real. And I, I Cameron Daddo did um, Big River for me. Mm. And uh he came up to me in the foyer and he said, "So I'm just talking to these people over there." And they say that that they forget that we've got the scripts and they say that that they don't we don't look at them. And right. I said, Yeah, no, I know. that Because that's how good you all are. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And somebody came up to me and said, Look, clearly they've learnt this. I didn't see them look at their script once. Mm. And I said, Well, I can assure you they do look at their scripts. Yeah. I promise you they look at their scripts.
1: And the power of it as well and how popular these are. For an example, for the listeners, you did Calamity Jane with Virginia Gay, which then went on to become a touring production. Yeah. Because people just loved it so much.
2: Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we're very lucky with that one. It was, it's hard to know whether any of them would ever spin off into something more. Um, So there's been two now. Calamity Jane did a full season and then a tour. A nice Mm. work if you can get it. Did a season late last year. And so who knows in the future what might actually get... To have a longer life
1: Yeah, exactly And you also have some more coming up next year So did you want to talk about that a little bit more? Yes,
2: we're finally getting to do They're Playing Our Song mm-hmm. That'll be directed by Lisa Cullingham Lisa is one of those people That's been in the business um, for decades And uh, for her to now come through As a director and choreographer Is just well deserved um, She's got such great knowledge She's so good in a room She was assistant director on Nice Work If you can get it Okay. And And she was just amazing at dealing with because you know COVID, all those things. Somebody's going off, somebody's going on. She's she's going to be a really great director.
1: Wow, that's great! Mm. And then promises, 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 promises. After. So yes. Dean
2: Dryberg, who directed Comet,
1: yeah, we had him on the uh, podcast before. He's great chat. He's yeah, awesome. so
2: he he's going to be doing Promises, Promises, which is um, based on the 1960 film The Apartment.
1: Right, okay But
2: has all of the songs of Rack and David
1: Okay, Yeah, right.
2: so things like Say a Little Prayer and House Is Not a Home And all of those wonderful songs And with playing our song, I mean, you know, it, older listeners will remember That it played the theatre role in 1980 with Jackie Weaver and John Walters oh, wow for ages Really? Yeah Okay, yeah. yeah It was a massive hit
1: Right Yeah So I guess the question I have is what constitutes a neglected musical And how do you go about picking them?
2: Okay, well, as I said before, we'll never run out of neglected musicals. Mm. So really, it's a director-driven program. Because it's only one day's rehearsal, a director needs to be madly in love with the show and needs to be able to see it all in their head. Yeah. Because you can't stop, you can't play, you can't change something that you think may not be working. You have right. to really have a strong opinion on what will work and you have to wind everybody up and just go. Um So, therefore, directors come to me and say, I'd really like to do this. And if there's any directors out there that would like to come to me and say, I'd really like to do this, then please do. And then basically it's a matter of me curating. So, for example, somebody came to me and said, I want to do Porky and Bess. And it's like, well, no, Um, we can't do that one. Predominantly because you need um, an African-American cast. Right. Uh, But somebody else came to me and said, West Side Story, not neglected Mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. And West Side Story is so known for its choreography. It would be, even if nobody had done West Side Story for 20 years, it would be very difficult to do it within this format.
1: Right, gotcha. And also the
2: shows within a show are difficult as well.
1: Yeah. So it kind of needs to be like not so outlandishly difficult, but kind of that middle ground, I suppose. But then, so there's a lot of different elements that go into Yeah, I guess your mind when you're
2: thinking, and whether people will come. Yeah, that's important because you know there's there's we've done some that have been really really obscure, Mm. and and you know people go with it now. I don't know this show, but it's neglected. I'll have a fun time. I'm going to go. Yeah, but it is great when you do get to do those extremely popular shows from yesteryear that just didn't get done here. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of those as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Mm. There's a ton. So I know I used to work on a um, community theatre board as one of the you know the committee, and I was in charge of finding shows and going through. Like you recognize them, and you go, oh yeah, I know that one. I've never seen it, but would it work? And and it, like weighing up your options is always a, a difficult, but also really interesting to see. You know, I guess what people want to see, but then what you know they should see, and what deserves to be seen, and. It's a whole process. Well,
2: I mean, a lot of the ones that are particularly popular are the ones that the films were played often enough back in the day right, or if you yeah. could still access the film. Mm. So things like Calamity Jane, that movie was on. Bill Collins probably presented that every six months on a Saturday night. Uh, Brigadoon was on a lot. And there uh, there were no real professional productions of Brigadoon here. Yeah, There used to be... Uh, this thing at the Menzies Hotel where they would do abridged versions of shows. Nancy was in a lot of them. I think Brigadoon was probably done then. Okay. So when we did do Brigadoon, community groups had done it, but to do it with professional performers in this way, of course people were like, oh, my God, I've never seen Brigadoon. I can't wait to see it. I've only ever seen the film. Yeah. Um, and people know the songs with a show like that as well.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because when I came to see it, I'd never seen Brigadoon. I didn't think I'd know it. I only knew like the the parody show Schmigadoon and I was like, oh, must be Brigadoon. Oh, right. <laughs> um, and so when I sat and listened I was like oh I do know this show yeah because yeah, yeah. I know the songs yeah and yeah that was interesting yeah
2: and that's that's a big part of it too you know as i say to the cast you don't get don't get too caught up with getting everything right and perfect. Yeah, right. Because a lot of the time that's why they're here.
1: Exactly, yeah. But also
2: to do remember that there is that song in Act 2, that they know mm. that they're waiting to hear. Yeah. So that's that's the bit that's the big payoff for a lot of people. It's like, you know, we, with it, um, anyone can whistle, which had mm. never been done, uh, but everybody knows there won't be trumpets
1: yeah.
2: or um, anyone can whistle. So they're waiting for those moments. In the show. Okay.
1: Do you think audiences are more forgiving if, like, there's a stuff up or, like, they forget a line or something I think like they're that? they're disappointed
2: if there isn't a stuff up or yeah, forget right. a line yeah. or somebody <laughs> drops their script. That's, you know, th- there are people who deliberately come to the first presentation. Yeah. There's also people who deliberately come to the last.
1: Right. Okay. Because yeah. they want to see, like, the whole their final product i suppose
2: well no that the, the, just the anxiety of it like I've oh, got, right. yeah i've got an old friend that says i just can't i can't come in the beginning because they they really look a bit panicked i can oh, see the whites no. of their eyes and yeah. the trembles and so that makes them nervous yeah oh, so he bless. absolutely has to come to the last show yeah right mm. that's fascinating but then there's people that that go, come a couple of times especially if it's a show that they really like
1: yeah exactly it's very accessible Mm. I love it. Well, thank you so much for um, telling us all about that. I think it's great. I'm really keen to see you then as well. Um, Well, I'd love to ask you uh, to wrap up a question I ask everyone that comes on and I'm interested to hear your opinion on it. I'd love to know how you think the theatre industry has changed over the years and how those changes has affected the work that you do and the work that you create.
2: Wow. I could do a TED talk on that. i love that. (laughs) Uh, How it has affected me, gosh, I don't know if I can do that one because I just keep going. Pretty tenacious. Mm. I think um, I think a big thing at the moment is getting, we're still in a, a phase of getting audiences back.
1: Mm. Yeah.
2: I would like us as an industry to treat audiences with more respect. Yeah. Uh, and by respect, I don't mean the content. I mean the process. Right. The process of booking a ticket, parking the car, mm. finding out information. Yeah. Um. It, it, it's very easy to to sh- to deliver a show. It's not easy to deliver a show. It's easy to put on a show that people want to see, and there's always I'm always talking to people like, "Oh my god, I really wanted to see that, but yep. why didn't you?"
1: Yeah, because like I don't what stopped you.
2: Feel like we're we're making it easy enough for people to come, right? And I I think that we need to look at that. Yeah, uh, and, and it's also some of the costs of tickets. Uh, educating audiences, as in, you know, we have to we have to build audiences, we have to breed audiences, mm. and if we're not making it accessible for younger people in high school to come yeah. and see a show, then how are they going to get into the habit of coming? How is it going to be part of their life? Because yeah. going to the theatre is a habit. Yeah, it's oh, I haven't seen anything for a while. What have I got to see? Who's the person in my life I go see shows with? Mm. And and also. I think that there should be massive discounts for people going on their own.
1: Oh, I would love that. I go on my own so often. Lots of people do. <laughs> yeah.
2: And I think that there should be an incentive for that because and a more kind of acceptability of that. Because I noticed it um, – I'm trying to think what it was. I think it was either nice work or anyone can whistle. I can't remember because a lot of things were on late last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, But there was every Saturday matinee – There was so it must have been nice work. There was some people sitting in the foyer that were getting there like really early, Mm. and talking to each other. They didn't really know each other except for being there about shows. Yeah, and I just thought actually it was anyone can whistle. They came to all the matinées, and um, they wanted they didn't have other people in their life to talk yeah to shows about yeah. And I thought well we need to encourage all this more, you know, theater clubs. What happened to those?
1: I know maybe we should start one. Just, Just off on. you go. Yeah. <laughs> but we do we
2: do need to encourage audiences more. We need to make it easier for them, show them some respect, make the experience better. Mm. Uh, it's great that most theatres now let people take a, a drink in. Yeah. I think we should stop short of a pizza in the front row, yeah, which I have seen. A, oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> tap the... Usher. I'm going get that off them. Yeah. Um, and, I, yeah, I just would like us to, to kind of focus on that a bit more. I feel that going to the theatre and the habit of going to the theatre has changed. I mean, they said the same things when television was invented. Yeah, and, right. And yeah. stuff like that. So we need to keep engaging audiences and giving them a good reason to come. And a lot of that has to do with accessibility, ease, cost.
1: Yeah. I love it. Great answer. Thank you so much. You really like hit me with this—the the going to the theatre by yourself because one of the big things I hate when I'm booking tickets is me going, I can't book that seat because I, I can't leave a spare seat but then I can't buy that seat there because there's two seats next to it. It's like, oh, well, I just won't go then. So it's wow. like just little things like that is I think an easy fix, you know.
2: Yeah. I mean there should be a button you can click on. Going on your own, Yeah, these are the seats you can pick from. Exactly.
1: Yeah. It'd be like, great. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for jumping on the podcast and joining us. That was a great conversation. I'm really excited to see all the neglected musicals that come up. So thank you so much.
2: Great. Thank you for having me.
1: said thank you to Michelle Guthrie for joining us as our guest on this week's episode. Neglected Musicals' production of If Then plays from the 22nd of November at the Hayes Theatre Company. Tickets can be booked at neglectedmusicals.com.au. This episode was produced by Echidna Audio. Follow them on Instagram at Audio for all their audio services. Once again, if you enjoyed our podcast, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts and head to the link in this episode's description for our Instagram account, TikTok, YouTube and Patreon. My name's Justin Clark, and I'll see you next time here on the Theatre Thoughts Podcast.